What's up? Are y'all old enough to remember that? Like, did y'all ever do that with your friends? Like, like the Bud Light commercial or whatever it was from the Super Bowl, and that's how you greeted everybody when they came over. Anyway, I'm running out of openings because this is the third one of these that I've done in a row. This is day three, uh, talking about RHAs. If you have not listened to parts one and two, this is going to make absolutely no sense to you. But if you have, welcome. And if you haven't, go back and listen or just, hey, I don't know. We'll take the downloads. So go ahead and listen to this and we'll figure it out as we go. Today, I have on my board for the topic CWAs versus RHAs. So this will probably be the shortest of the episodes I unpacked this week. Um, maybe, I don't know. I'm speculating now while I'm recording and who knows how this is going to go. Here is the thing. I talked about this on Monday. CWA stands for critical wildlife area. RHA, restricted hunting area. I'm going to give you some same stuff I said on Monday, but I want you to follow my logic as I unpack this. Okay. Critical wildlife area is, as, as I said the other day, a thing where we say this, this area, this partial of land, this island, this seashore, this whatever is significant and important to some type of wildlife. I don't know what it is, a gopher tortoise, a wood stork, a rosette spoonbill, a whatever. This we need this. It's important. It's nesting habitat. It's it's a it's a fledging area. It's a training ground. It's a feed area. Whatever. Um, and the way that works is the critical wildlife area is uh, a thing that is under the HSC division of FWC, Habitat and Species Conservation. So someone says we need a critical wildlife area in this in this region. And I'll talk about Charlotte Harbor because I know there's several in Charlotte Harbor. And they say we've identified this this as a important nesting rookery for birds. And so someone from HSC goes out there and looks at it, a biologist, whatever, and, and does some studies and some measures and maybe they do bird counts. I don't know what they do. They look at the, the plant type, the food, how many birds are using it, the whole nine yards. And then they come back and they say, yeah, this meets, th this looks like something we need to protect. It looks like something we need to preserve. That's a word we talk about sometimes, conservation versus preservation. Conservation being the idea of seeking the proper use of a resource. Preservation being to protect a resource from being used, okay? Protect something from use. Preservation can be a part of conservation, particularly in this type of scenario where you determine that, hey, we're going to sacrifice in the billion acres that is Charlotte Harbor. And I don't know how many acres Charlotte Harbor is, but it's a bunch. But in the billion acres at Charlotte Harbor, it's not a billion, several hundred thousand acres at Charlotte Harbor, we are going to set aside eight five-acre islands and those eight five-acre islands are going to make a huge impact on the wood stork population here or the spoonbill population here or the kingfisher population here, or whatever the thing is. So we're going we're gonna to put some of these under glass and we're going to protect anyone from touching them. And when I say protect anyone from touching them, what I mean is this. On a critical wildlife area, a CWA, the, the island is surrounded by signs at certain intervals. I can't remember what it is, if it's every 500 yards or something like that. It's kind of unattractive. But you have these signs out there that are X distance away from the island, and then they are encircling the island, and you do not go past them. You don't, you don't go up to the sign and put your power poles down and cast towards the island. You don't kayak through them. You don't say, hey, I'm a bird watcher taking pictures. I can, I can go inside that sign and take pictures. 
you don't go past the signs. If you do, it is enforceable by FWC and they will write you a ticket and you will pay a pretty hefty fine for violating the CWA. The CWAs, as I mentioned the other day, were kind of, I'll say created by Chairman Yablonski, Brian Yablonski, when he was with the, the commission um, about 10 years ago. And he didn't create them, staff created them, but he, it was kind of like his idea. He worked in conjunction with staff on them. And the CWAs have been a pretty successful program. The other things I'm going to tell you is FWC staff from Habitat Species Conservation goes out and puts the signs up. They go out and survey the site. And then they make a subjective analysis. And we could say, is it subjective or not? But there's not a checklist because there's so many species and so many qualitative things that have to go into this. They go out and make an assessment and determine, does this spot meet the requirements to be a critical wildlife area? And then they take it to the commission and the commission votes on it. Now, it can be a, uh, what do you call it? A, a, a con consent agenda item. That's how it can be. But it goes to the commission and they're able to discuss it, bandy about it a little bit and, and, and see if they want to approve it or not approve it. All right. That's a critical wildlife area. I'm going, again, I don't know if I said this or not, but born out of the bird sanctuary rule. Okay. Also out of the bird sanctuary rule comes the restricted hunting area rule. And a question that I continue to ask and I've not gotten a good answer on is why is the critical wildlife area rule handled one way and the restricted hunting area rule is handled completely differently. Like these are both things that come out of the same rule. They're both things rooted in the same rule. And in one case, the agency maintains the discretion as to whether or not to issue the, uh, the uh, appointment, the, the designation. In the other, <laughs> the agency issues a permit to a municipality to to create the designation. So the agency determines this is a CWA. The agency gets a list of things from a municipality and says you are now an RHA. Follow the difference there. It's, it's slight, but it is there. Secondly, the signs. The municipality is responsible for putting the signs up on an RHA. On a critical wildlife area, FWC is responsible for putting the signs up. When I push back on this, when I've asked about this, and, and by the way, I don't know if I, I pushed hard enough back on the difference that I just made there between the, the two, because I've mentioned public trust before on this a, a time or two already. And one of the things about that is who is managing this resource as part of the requirement to get an RHA, the local municipality holds a meaning, not the state. That's an important thing that drives me really, really, really bananas in this rule is that they pass off the responsibility to have the meeting, they being FWC, hand off the responsibility to have the meeting to the local municipality. And that local municipality only notices the people that live in that municipality. Guess how many places I hunt are in municipalities I don't live in? Like 96% of them. So I wouldn't be notified that, hey, this thing's going to be up to challenge on an RHA. Even if I was, but even if I was, we're a state of 21 and a half million people and there's 12,000 duck hunters. I'm sorry. Let me say that again. There's 12,000 duck hunters in a state of 21 and a half million people. So it's not like we are the overwhelming majority that are going to go throw down on this thing and be able to over, overwhelm it in a meeting. 
but we can make a good showing and push back on it if we knew that the meetings were occurring. But I feel like, and you can say I'm wrong or not, but based on everything I know, that certainly feels like an abdication of public trust. Maybe those are too strong of a word. I don't know. You can agree, disagree. I just struggle with it greatly because I want the agency that is the trustee, that is the trust manager of this resource, in this case, public water, water fouling. I want them deciding whether or not I can hunt there. And I understand that that could be subjective. And I understand that, but I'm okay with that because they are the experts on this. They are the people where this should reside. reside. I don't want a municipality gathering signatures or whatever and, and determining that, hey, we need to go get a county commissioner to declare that we want to be an RHA and ask for this thing. And then if we meet these five things on this checklist, we can be one because the outcome of that is going to be confusion on the hunting community, even on areas within an RHA, because there, there is the ability within an RHA to still hunt. <laughs> but if that sounds confusing to you, it's because it sounds confusing to me too. And I think it's going to sound super confusing to newcomers to the sport. I mentioned R3 the other day. I think that is a barrier to R3 and I, I really struggle with that. And I'm not sure why the agency is not more concerned about that when we get into this topic, but I want to go back to, <laughs> I want to go back to, I'm rambling the difference between CWA and RHAs and how they're treated by the agency. The belief is or what I've gathered from a billion conversations and I can't point to one person and say, you know, Sammy Samerson said this, you know, with hunting and game management, I'm going to say I've heard this from a number of people at the agency uh, in, in leadership, maybe in trustee, maybe in, in staff across the board. I couldn't tell you who said it to you, but I've heard this a number of times repeatedly that we treat these two things differently because habitat species conservation has plenty of staff to go out and do some assessments to determine if a critical wildlife area needs to be issued. Hunting and game management has a resource constraint because they don't have plenty of staff to go out and determine if a restricted hunting area is needed. Now, I find that super troubling. As a as a consumptive user, license holder, uh, guy that pays user fees every year to the agency that get turned into conservation dollars, why does the Habitat Species Conservation Division have enough resources to go do that? but the hunting game management division doesn't have enough resources. And I'm not saying that as a slight towards HGM at all. Like I'm in their corner on this. If this is a resource constraint problem though, why is it my problem as a stakeholder? And when as a stakeholder, I'm paying more every year than the HSC stakeholders are paying because we're all level set when it comes to, when it comes to how the agency is funded. And let me talk briefly about that. The agency gets a lot of funding through, through doc stamps which is, is basically on every house sold, there's some, some level of a doc stamp that goes towards budget for the agency. Uh, there's a gas tax that helps fund the agency. And then there are user fees, such as hunting licenses, fishing licenses, state waterfowl stamps, snook stamps would be one, uh, things like that that go and fund the agency. Hunting licenses make up 6% of agency funding. Fishing licenses make up 18% of 18 agency funding. So collectively consumptive users pay 24% of agency funding. Here's my, my issue. Travis's issue in this is I'm a stakeholder that owns a house. I'm a stakeholder that puts gas in my car. I'm a stakeholder that buys a gold sportsman's license every year. I buy, I don't know if the snook stamps included in that, but I buy a snook stamp in it. 
I also buy a guides license every year. I also buy, you know, a crap ton of waterfowl permits every year. I am, I am in every one of those buckets. I'm in the 6%, I'm in the 24% and I'm in the, the 74%. So when you, when you level set this and you look at the baseline and you say, okay, well, all the stakeholders are the same. I struggle with that. But where I'm also struggling with it in this conversation is why doesn't HGM have the resources to go do this assessment? If they, if they don't, and it's a funding issue and it's a resource constraint issue, how are they being funded in juxtaposition with habitat and species conservation, which I'm also a big fan of that division, but how are they being funded in juxtaposition with HSC to where they don't have the money and resources to go do these assessments that HSC can go do for a critical wildlife area. I think this is a huge miss in this role. And I think I, I cannot wrap my head around why the agency can't go out and do an assessment on this thing. And if it's a resource thing, as a, as a human being, as a, as an intellectual being, yes, I understand what you mean when you say that's a resource thing to me, but that's not my problem that my stakeholder constituency should suffer from. It's a problem that you as leadership need to go figure out and solve. So told you this will be brief, but that is CWAs versus RHAs and my confusion on why they are handled differently by the agency. If you got any questions on this one, make sure to reach out to me. In the meantime, y'all have a great evening and I'll see y'all tomorrow. Stay woke. <laughs>